on Friday afternoon at about four o'clock, I got in the car and I noticed that the windscreen was wet. Now, it had only been barely an hour since I'd just driven it. So I came to the quick conclusion, you know, it must have rained. You know, if the windscreen's wet, since I last used it, it must have rained. And I flicked the switch for the wiper, and the rubber blade went across the screen. And I realized that it hadn't rained. It hadn't rained. Because the wiper was actually clearing tiny white icy pellets. Not rain, but some other form of frozen moisture. First I thought hail, but then I thought actually sleet might have been more realistic, you know? Yeah, and it's all that kind of thing. Well, where, where's one? Where's the other? You know, is it hail? Is it sleet? Is it? It's not rain. Rain, hail, sleet, snow, grouple, you know, all forms of words for precipitation falling from the clouds that have experienced different conditions as the water droplets fall, right? And the names are different for how they look and how they feel, how they've been shaped on that journey from the clouds to the earth. They look, feel different. But catch any one of them in a quantity in a pan. You could shove it on a stove and make a cup of tea, couldn't you? It's all just water. They're different words. We see them differently, but they're all essentially actually the same thing. In the passage today, we have what in the Hebrew Torah, the teachings, were ten words. Ten words. Now, they, over time, they, as they got written down into the Bible, they were expanded in length with explanatory words. And then they get translated into English. But essentially, there are ten words that we know as the commandments. They might each look different. They feel different. But in their basic nature, they share something in common. They are the ten key words that God gives us and says, ignoring those words will damage our relationship with him. As the words are given, they are rooted in the one who formed them in the cloud surrounding the the mountain of Horeb where, where Moses is receiving them. And as the voice says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt 
out of the land of slavery they are given. Now that line is commonly taken as the first half of the first commandment. But actually it underlies all of them. They all relate to the fact that this is God. It's the people's God. And he has taken them out of the land of Egypt. If you're not in relationship with God, well, these are still good things, good for your society. But these are being specifically given to a holy nation that's called and set apart. They are being given to a people who were slaves and by God's power had been freed from their captivity. He took them through the Red Sea. He has fed them in the wilderness with manna and with quail. He has given them clean water to drink. Moses but taps the rock with his staff. And they can be refreshed. Their thirst quenched. They have lived. They have life. Only because of his direct provision. He is the God that took them out of Egypt. And these are the words that he gives them to live by. Ten words that they can respect that relationship, respect that life that he has given them. To break any word, any of the ten, is to deny one's relationship with God. And to deny yourself the life that was received. That's the message for the Israelites. These are the ten. You're my people. These are the ten. Over the years, it is often said, well, depending on who you listen to, the first three of the first four are about how we relate to the Lord. And the second half, be it six or seven, uh, the ones found uh, particularly in verse 12 to 17, are about our relationship in community. I've seen as two different things quite often. Relationship with God and relationship in community. But that's far too simplistic, isn't it? Based on what I've just said. They are all about our relationship with God. Because to break any of them damages that relationship. Because God loves all people and he cares for your neighbor as much as he cares for you. And they are also all about how we live as humanity, how we live in community, how we relate to one another in the world. That we've gathered together today to worship God, 
is part of that, isn't it? Because we wish to honor him in what we're doing. And we see this sense that they're all about God and they're all about community in how they come together. And there are two of these ten words that are really about how we think about stuff. And it's the first one and the last one. How we think about God and how we think about our neighbours. How we think about other people. You shall have no other God before me and you shall not covet. I'm a pair of commandments that underlie the others in between. And they each relate to people thinking of how they can do things better than how God has blessed them already in their life. And that word you, singular, how you, each one of you, me and you, can be taken as an individual thing. It's what you must not do, but it's also as a people thing. He took each one of the the Israelites individually out of Egypt, but he also took them out as a people. And so as a people, they must not covet. And as a people, they are to have no other God before the Lord. You can't do it better than how God can do it. The people have been brought out of the polytheistic Egypt where there's many false gods that were worshipped. And he said, that's not how it's got to be anymore for you. You've got to have one God. I'm the one true God. They have been brought out of Egypt where the society had greed and jealousy and it forced them to be slaves and they've been freed. They were truly treated. That is no longer the way ahead. They're called in the first and tenth to live differently than their previous masters lived. To live as God's people today. And we likewise are called to live differently than the world that surrounds us. Not to have that jealousy, not to have that greed. And to recognize that the Lord is our God. Just as the ones at either end of the ten words have a commonality. There's two in the middle that have a commonality too. The fourth about the Sabbath and the the fifth about honouring parents form a pairing about how we live life in a godly community. 
The day of Sabbath was more than a day of worship. It was a day of rest and refreshment. It required thinking about in advance. Each week you have to plan what you're going to do on the Sabbath. How are you going to live that day? Because if you're not going to do the work, how is that work going to be done? What preparation do you need to make? What advanced cooking? How do you have a fire? Because, of course, lighting a fire was one of the things that later the Israelites understood was a piece of work and that they couldn't do. Well, they might think, "Hmm, if I can't do that, I'll get my servant to do it. I'll get my slave to do it. But the way this commandment is given, it says, no, you can't do that. You can't take the Sabbath and expect somebody else to do it all for you. If there's a foreigner residing in your land, they get the Sabbath too. If you've got servants, they get the Sabbath too. It's rest and refreshment for all. They were slaves that have been brought out of Egypt. But actually, they're not to go and then make slaves and make other people be cruelly treated in how they live their life as they settle towards a new land. And so they need to think about how they live in community, how they honor the Lord, and how they bless his name in what they do, caring for all and giving their servants the same advantage that they themselves had. But the Lord's Day isn't simply a time for dullness and no focus. Perhaps historically in in this country, it's sometimes had that approach. Within the memory of some of us, there might have been a sense that you, you couldn't, as a family, do much more than go for a walk. Perhaps for children in our generation or the generation before, in some places, the swings might have been chained up. Ooh, you can't have fun, it's the Sabbath. Certainly up in the Western Isles or um, certain places. But if we think about the Lord's Day, if we think about how God wants that day to be used, we can see in Nehemiah chapter 8, when they're reading the book of teachings about the law, And the people are mourning how far they have fallen from it. And they feel convicted of their sin. Nehemiah says, don't be sad, but go and rejoice. It's the Lord's day. He says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Just 
this sense that actually the Lord has given us a day for refreshment, to be together in community, to share with one another, to bless one another. And that provision in there for people who don't have, that comes in here too in the law of honoring parents. That instruction, that commandment, that word is not being given to young children. It's being given to adults, maybe people our age. It's about how to relate to the generations that have gone before them and to the generations that are older than them that are still alive. In the next chapter, in Exodus 21, there is even a verse that's kind of reflecting back to this that says anyone who attacks their mother, uh, their father or mother is to be killed. Right. That's not being written to children. That's to adults that are maybe a bit frustrated that the older generation are no longer able to provide for themselves or disrupt things in a way. It's not obeying the father and mother, but it's respecting them. It's caring for them. It's providing for them. The Lord calls us to remember and honor so that a structure is developed that will in time allow that care to be known themselves by those who have previously given it. In Britain, it could be understood in how the state pension works. State, state pension is the honoring of father and mother. You know, and the taxpayers of today pay the state pension of those that receive the state pension today. You know, we don't, when we pay our national insurance, pay it into a pot like our private pension. But it comes from current taxes. In Hebrew culture, it reflects that we owe life, our life, to those of earlier generations. And it is about recognizing the experience of those that are older. As it says in uh, Proverbs 16, verse 31, gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. Right? All those of you with gray hair can rejoice. It is a crown that you are wearing. It doesn't say anything about those that dye their hair. You know, but it, it's, a, it, it's a thing about being God's people and respecting those that are God's people that have gone before. Failure to structure life in a way that brings refreshment and time together in community. Failure to provide for those who need has consequences that will impact not just the current generations, 
but those who are in later generations too. What we do comes back and bites us. And that's seen in how the commandments are written. It flows on, not as a punishment from God to the generations, but is a natural consequence. It's a natural consequence in how it evolves. We bring the punishment on ourselves if we don't live right. And this reflects into the, the do not action commands, the second, the third, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth. The Bronze Age carving of idols to the giving of false testimony. When we do these things, when we create false gods, when we steal, when we tell lies about what has happened, that breaks down society and doesn't allow it to flourish in the way that it should. It creates polarization rather than harmony. And there is a sense that Western society may be increasingly ignoring the direction that God leads us in these ten words for life. The language of politics is frequently seeking the fringes rather than the commonality. And yet this divisiveness is called populism. You know, sometimes there's, there's false testimony. So alternative truths, they're sometimes called, where they're not actually truths at all. That are maybe broadcast by some stations on their current affairs programs. They get away with it with Ofcom because uh, it's current affairs, not news. Social media algorithms feed us more of what we've previously read rather than what is necessarily true. Even if the thing that we previously read and liked, you know, wasn't something truthful. In other words, uh, I was listening to something on Radio 4 when I was in the car back on Monday that was saying about some teenagers in Macedonia at the time of 2015, 16, um, made a small fortune because they worked out they could write fake news articles and put advertising alongside them. And then, because uh, they were all about Hillary Clinton and the Trump election time, people got drawn to their website and they received the reward and they became quite rich uh, relative to the society around them. And it's even thought that might have influenced the outcome of the election. You know. 
we like to listen to certain things that are not always true. If we wish to live in a world that is just, a world that is fair, a world that reflects the way of Jesus, then in the freedom of life that he gives us, we need to accept individually and as community and as a nation that there are things we need to not do. Paul put it this way to the church in Corinth. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And that applies to us today, doesn't it? Not just 2,000 years ago in Corinth. It's written, the fact that the law is written not to do rather than to do, rather than forcing us into certain things, gives us quite a lot of freedom. You know, there's quite a lot of things that aren't actually murdering somebody or stealing. But that's the sort of freedom that Adam and Eve had in the Genesis account of Eden. They had the whole garden. They could eat any other tree, any other fruit, any other fruit, just not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the account tells us that they did. And so there is pain. To break any of the ten words causes pain. It causes pain to us, to people we love, to our community, to the generations that come after. But humanity again and again breaks those words. So it causes pain to others and causes pain to God. Thankfully, thankfully, through the gift of Jesus, the way is made that when we have done wrong but repent, we can be forgiven. There are ten words there, ten commandments, ten instructions that we should follow. But when we fail, we have a God of love who welcomes us to come home. Let us be people of the word and seek to live rightly. And when we've not lived rightly, help us to return to the Lord 
and to journey onwards in his mercy and his grace. Amen.